Well, this morning I was going to uh, share a message entitled, uh, What's the Deal with Speaking in Tongues? And uh, I'm still going to share that message, uh, but not today. I'm going to share that in a couple of weeks, uh, really kind of as in an effort to, as we have been um, in this series, By My Spirit, uh, we've really kind of covering the fullness of the power, the gifts uh, of the Holy Spirit. And um, for whatever reason, that one gift tends to be the one that causes people uh, the most angst and um, causes people to kind of recoil a little bit from um, from the fullness of the Spirit in their life. And so I'm going gonna, gonna to do my best to demystify that and, and walk you through that. But that's going to be uh, in a couple of weeks uh, that we're going to do that. Instead, this morning, what I want to do is I want to address what's going on in our world. Uh, specifically, um, what I've been seeing over the past um, few years uh, just through social media, anytime there's uh, a major uh, tragedy or social injustice, or whether there's uh, you know what uh, uh, just complete evil that's uh, happened, like what took place in Uvalde, and uh, and I, I see this growing uh, sentiment that anytime something like this takes place, I begin to see these comments. Uh, whether in social media or in the news, or I, I hear these words where um, when people uh, inevitably say praying for, praying for that situation, praying for Uvalde, praying for this, uh, what I'm seeing is this kind of growing sentiment that says um, that's really not what we need. Now, nobody's really saying it that way, but they're saying, yeah, 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 prayer's here, but what we really need is change. Like prayers, it's fine, but what we really need is a policy. That, that prayer actually doesn't fix the problem. Now, I'm not implying that we don't need some sort of change or uh, protection of our kids. I mean, for crying out loud, we need the protection of our children. But it's possible to actually bring about change. It's possible to see things, uh, whether it's policies or whether it's procedures or whatever, take place. And it's also possible to invoke the power of prayer. That prayer still matters. That prayer still is effective in this world. See, what we're facing is this growing evil. And that's just flat out what this last week was. It was evil. And the thing about evil is evil isn't in the natural. Evil is in the supernatural. It's in the spiritual realm. And you don't combat the spiritual with policies and procedures. You combat the spiritual with the spiritual. You combat the spiritual with the supernatural you combat the spiritual with prayer. My role as a pastor is to equip us 
to do the work of the ministry, to live our life in our circle, like whatever our circle looks like, to live it for the fullness of who God is and to be people who are making a difference and living their life on mission in their life circle. And the best way that I know how to equip people is through the power of prayer. So today I want us to talk about, since we are in this series by my spirit, what it looks like to live a spirit-filled prayer life. And I think if you're open to him this morning, if you make yourself available to the Father today, that he will ignite something in you. He will stir something up inside of you. In Zechariah chapter 4, verse 1 through 6, we see a story of... um, a vision that's taken place. Then the angel who talked with me returned and woke me up like someone awakened from sleep. He asked me, what do you see? I answered, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lamps on it with seven channels to the lamps. Also, there are two olive trees by it. So just Picture that in your, in your mind. I don't know if you've seen an olive tree or not, but they can grow quite tall. They're not like massive fir trees, but they're, but they're pretty robust. And in the middle of these two olive trees is this lampstand that has a bowl on it reaching out to these olive trees. It says there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. And I asked the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? And he answered, do you not know what these are? No, my Lord, I replied. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. See, in that picture, there's a reflection of the oil of the olive trees uh, igniting the lampstand that's in the middle, that without the oil there is no lamp, there's no fire. And, and the premise of this to Zerubbabel is, who was the king at the time, was not by might, you're not gonna be able to do this by your own might, not by your own power, only by the oil, by the, 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 the fuel, the spirit of God, says the Lord Almighty. Now the word spirit there in the Old Testament in the Hebrew is uh, ruhach. You're supposed to say it with like phlegm in your mouth, um, but it's just, that's as good as I got. But it's the Hebrew word for uh, for spirit is ruhach in the New Testament, and and spirit is such a difficult word to translate into our English language. But in the New Testament, it's pneuma. It means wind, the wind of God. See, when the wind shows up, it will propel you. But you could be in a sailboat, you could be uh, with, with your sails up, but if you don't have wind, you're not going anywhere. Now you can paddle, you can in your own power try to combat the seas, but if you don't have the wind to propel you, you're stuck. And could I just make an argument this morning that a lot of us are living our lives wore out. We're tired of trying to do this on our own. We're tired of the stories. We're tired of the tragedy. And we're only getting places by our own effort, which isn't very far. See, God always intended for us to to live an empowered 
spiritual life, to live empowered with the wind of the Holy Spirit propelling us forward. Last week, Pastor Jay did a great job giving us an overview of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Today, we're going to talk about a Spirit-filled prayer life. Jesus' main mission while he was on this earth was to seek and save the lost. I don't want to take anything away from that. That, that pr- mission number one, primary focus of Jesus was that people would be saved. He demonstrated this by going to the cross, dying on the cross for every one of us, for the whole world. Three days later, the resurrection. And from that point, uh, for 40 days, Jesus showed up. He showed up to people. He showed up to situations and circumstances, gave teachings, giving his last words while he was on this earth. And then he ultimately, at the Mount of Olives, what's called the great ascension, his feet lifted from the ground and he ascended up into heaven. It's where he says that he, uh, it's to your advantage that I go away because I leave with you the Holy Spirit. And then 10 days later, uh, on what would be known as Pentecost, so 50 days after Easter, what is known as Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the people, and it says that, uh, that they began with power and speaking in a language that was known by everyone else. They all were speaking the same language. And, and interestingly, next Sunday, uh, June the 5th, will be 50 days after Easter. It'll be Pentecost. Pentecost will take place next Sunday, and we're going to talk about it. Because I think oftentimes we hear of Pentecost and we think that was for then, but what does Pentecost actually mean for us today? What 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 application could that possibly have? And so we're gonna we're gonna talk about that. There's like there's gonna be tongues of fire coming from heaven. It's gonna be a crazy Sunday, but um, no. And then uh, the following week, I'm gonna do the message on uh, speaking in tongues. And um, address that uh, because I think it's something that's been vilified, uh, or you know, throughout history, and something that I think, if we really fully understood it, would not be terrified of it. If you want to ask your questions, you can call the number on the screen. But I want to jump right into uh, today's message, and I want to start from Luke chapter twenty-four, verse forty-nine. It says. And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. I think that's interest, uh, an interesting statement there. Uh, if I could equate that uh, in this way, it would be like this. Like, um, the Holy Spirit has come just as the Father has promised we need to go out into our life circles and we need to be messengers of the gospel of Jesus. But wait, just wait, stay here. Stay here until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven and then go. 
See, I think it's, it's difficult for us because we, we know that we're supposed to live our life on mission and, and be out in the world and, and be messengers of Jesus, but we don't feel qualified. We don't, we don't feel competent enough or qualified enough. And, and the problem is, is that maybe it's that we, don't, we haven't been filled. We need a, a special infilling of the Holy Spirit and an empowerment, an empowerment of the Holy Spirit in our life. In Acts chapter 1, verse 4, it says, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Again, do not leave Jerusalem. Wait. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, so that was salvation, but in a few days you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And he gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Which is kind of funny because they're changing the subject. <laughs> he just got done saying, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And they're like, yeah, yeah, that's great, Jesus. Is Israel going to be a nation again or what? And he says to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. If we want to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and to the Samaria and to all the ends of the earth, we need the power and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We need to be spirit-filled for our life circle. If your life circle involves your home, your, your family, you need the fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit as a father, as a mother, as a husband, as a wife. Bring Christ into the center of your home. As, as you go into your workplace that just seems to be anti-God, you need the fresh infilling and empowerment of the Holy Spirit in your life. As you go into your neighborhood where people are hurting and broken and asking questions like, why would this happen? What could possibly be going on in our world, and if you want to be able to reach and love and care for the people in your community, you need a fresh power, a fresh filling and empowerment of the Holy Spirit in your life. Acts 10, 38 says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Friends, if Jesus of Nazareth needed the Holy Spirit, needed an anointing of the Holy Spirit, how much more do we? I love the statement, being filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't make me better than you. It makes me better than me. See, there's this group of people in Christianity in our world who think this conversation about being spirit-filled, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that the gifts are for today, that God does the miraculous, there's this sentiment that says, well, people who believe that think they're better than the people who don't believe it. And I would just argue that that's an arrogance, a religious arrogance, a pharisaical arrogance that shouldn't exist. See, the reason why I need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and have a fresh infilling of the empowerment and Spirit of God is not because I'm better than anybody else, because I need to be better than me. I don't have what it takes. Not in my own abilities, not in my own doing, but only by the Spirit of God. 
So let's talk about what it means to live a spirit-filled prayer life. The first thing is this, is that it must be a priority. Oftentimes we approach our prayer life as uh, an alternative option to ourselves. And I don't mean that in any disrespect because I found myself in the same place where it's easy for us to uh, often when we hear of tragedy or we hear of sickness and death, we immediately are, especially if you're the kind of personality like me where I'm a fixer, I immediately go into fixing mode and, and how can I fix the issue and the problem and, and what do I need to come up with for answers and things like that. And, and I just wonder what would happen if instead of kind of going to our own abilities, we just went to prayer first. I'm, I'm notorious for this, and I hate to even admit it as, as a pastor, as your pastor, is that people will say, well, we've got this you know, sickness or this diagnosis, and, and I'll say, well, you know, what are the doctors saying? What, you know, and I'll immediately go to the medical side of things. There's nothing wrong with medical. Our, our, our doctors, our nurses, our medical facilities are a gift for us to bring healing and wholeness in our life. I get all that. But what's sad to me is not that I would, you know, ask about the diagnosis or anything, but what's sad to me is that oftentimes that is my first response, uh, not prayer. It's not, well, whatever they're saying, let's pray. Let's pray. Let's take it to the Lord first. And then we'll go see the doctor and we'll get the diagnosis and we'll get all of that. But let's pray right now and believe for God to move and work and do a miracle in your life. Acts chapter 1 verse 14. They all join together, look at that word, constantly in prayer. Constantly in prayer. They didn't have a special prayer meeting. It wasn't just the people uh, that were on the prayer team no, they gather together constantly. They all gather together constantly in prayer. They join together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brothers. It wasn't just a few people. It wasn't the pastors of the church or the leaders of the church or the prayer team. No, they all join together in prayer. Prayer has to be, and you've Heard me say this before, it's not new to me. I've borrowed it from people like Chris Hodges and Robert Morris, and that, that prayer has to be our first response, not our last resort. It has to be. When things seem impossible, when things seem like they're falling apart, when there's evil in the world, we have to pray first. The second thing is the plan of our prayer. I'm mindful of the fact that what often keeps many of us from being spirit-filled, prayerful people is, is a feeling of inadequacy or insecurity of, of not feeling equipped enough or well-equipped enough to be able to live that kind of prayer life. And the, you're, you're in good company. The disciples felt the same way, right? The, the disciples... Uh, came to Jesus in Luke chapter 11, verse 1 through 2, where when Jesus was in a certain place praying, and as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, I need you to teach us how to pray, just as John taught his disciples. 
And Jesus says, this is how you should pray. And he gives them some instruction. And we want to walk with you through the equipping part of what it means to live a spirit-filled prayer life. I don't know if you know this, but um, I know it feels a little... I shouldn't probably be bringing this up right now because your kids just got out of school. Um, But your kids just got out of school, and I've got bad news for you. They go back to school, like, on August 10th, if they're in any ISD school district. They go back really early this year. Uh, If they're in Comel District, I think they go back on the 23rd. Nevertheless, uh, there's coming just in a couple months, uh, our kids, our students, are going to be going back into their schools. And as a church, we've done this in the past, but um, we've, we've kind of just moved it to the beginning of the year. But I, I felt compelled and convicted that for us as a church, uh, in August, we're going to do 21 days of prayer and fasting again. That starting August 8th, so we'll, I know your kids are going to be going back into school and you're going to be busy and all of that. But I'm asking us as a church to commit together for 21 days to commit that time in prayer and fasting for our kids, for our church, for our schools, for our teachers, that we would be a people of prayer. And that during those three weeks, we are going to resource you. We are going to get you access to an app. We're going to give you access to resources, a, a prayer plan for each of the days Uh, In Jesus' response to his disciples, of course, he gives them seven ways in which to pray. In Matthew chapter 6, he he gives them what's known as the Lord's Prayer. Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. It's a very familiar prayer to us, but, but it's not just a flippant prayer that we just pray periodically. There's actually components to that prayer. We're going to help resource you and equip you the best way we know how so that as we go into this school year, we are spirit-filled, prayerful people. This is the one that I want us to lean into this morning. It's the third part of this is the power of prayer. There's this story that takes place in Acts chapter 3 and um, you see Peter and John, and they're walking in a, into a city, and uh, there's a man who's just severely crippled. He's, he, he's in need of a healing, but he's also kind of lived his whole life begging for money. And he asks Peter and John for money, and their response is, silver and gold have I none, right? And they're like, well, what we have is way better, and so they pray for him, and, and the religious leaders, interestingly, at the time, they hear of the good news. And it's not unlike today where people don't like good news. And when I say people, we like good news, what I mean is like the press doesn't like good news. Right? The, the world, the culture, the, like what they do like is tragedy. They like death. They like conflict. They like controversy. Why? Because it sells. There's something evil in us that's longing for those kinds of informational things. But it's not unlike what took place here. There was such good news being presented for this man. But the religious leaders even heard about the good news and they weren't happy about it. They bring Peter and John and they, throw them into, they get them thrown into prison 
But I want you to see what happens after Peter and John are released. In verse 23 and 24 of Acts 4, it says, On their release, Peter and John went back to their people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, I love this response, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, giving thanks to him for what they had been doing, giving thanks to him for his answered prayer and for what God was doing through their work. We need to be people of powerful prayer. We do that by, one, that powerful prayers are unified. I hear people say all the time that uh, we want to see our culture change. We want to see a shift in the culture, that the direction of our culture is not good in our world, and we need it to change. I hear people say that uh, they want to see a revival of, of the move of God in America, in our city, in our world. And I just encourage you this morning that neither of those two things will happen without prayer. They just won't. Second Chronicles 7 says, if my people, if my people, God is looking for people. Not people who talk about it, but people who will. People who are called by my name, who will humble themselves, who will pray and seek my face and will turn from their wicked ways. And then he promises three things. I will hear them from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. Matthew 18 says, Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you, if two of you would come together on earth and agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven, for the, where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there with him. There's this something powerful in the gathering together of people to pray. It's not to say that you can't pray alone in your room and, and pray in isolation. Of course you can, but there's something different. There's something powerful that takes place in the corporate gathering of prayer. A.T. Pearson says it like this, there has never been a spiritual awakening in our country or, lo- or any other locality that did not begin in united prayer. We have to do this together. In Acts chapter 4, verse 25, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in, uh, and the people's plot in vain? There's this growing movement among uh, people who would call themselves Christians. And again, I'm not making that judgment one way or the other. But there's kind of this growing um, dynamic. I I don't really even know what to call it other than this way of thinking where there is this deconstructing of God's word that Paul probably didn't really mean that, or that's not really what Jesus meant when he said this. There's this deconstructionist movement. There's uh, a deconstruction of the church. 
the gathering, the community of faith that, that exists. Now, we can have long conversations about the organization of the church and, and is this the model and all of that, but, but there's no question that the gathering, the larger gathering of people is important. And any deconstruction of God's word to say that God's word never meant what it meant is blasphemy. The deconstruction of, of the church in the sense of the gathering and the coming together of, of the people of God in community to be equipped to do the work of the ministry, to come against that is to come against the very purpose and plan of Jesus to establish his church. The second thing is this, is that powerful prayers are scriptural. He's already spoken his will. It's called the Bible. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with the resounding yes. And through Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. Did you know that there are uh, over 4,000 promises in the Bible? And he's looking for people to pray these promises. Prayer is, is like the prophecy to my future. It's the, it's the proclamation of God's will for my life. Joshua 24, 15. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Not, not a, man, I really hope that my kids grow up and, and love Jesus. Not a, let's leave this, toss this up to fate and hope that they get enough at, at Lifehouse Kids or Next Gen and stuff. And No, no, no. This is a, a line in the sand, a proclamation of a prophetic promise. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for you and your house, you will serve the Lord. That that is the prayer that we are praying. Not, I hope my grandkids grow up to know Jesus. no. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Prayer is this prophecy to the future, not what I want. God is not a genie in a bottle, right? No matter how catchy the song is. Like, he's not. You don't, you don't rub the lamp and hope to get your wishes. You're, a, a genie, when it comes out of the bottle, we don't believe in them, by the way, but you know, hypothetically, the, the genie says, your wish is my command. That, that's not how this works. His command, God's command, is our wish. He's already spoken his commands, his promises in the word. We grab hold of his promises and in the truth, and we proclaim them through prayer. In Acts chapter 4, it goes on in verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God, what? With boldness, boldly proclaiming it. And that's the third and final thing is that powerful prayers are bold. They're bold. 
I think some of the challenge in our prayer life is, is that maybe we, we lower the bar in order to not look foolish. We, we put ourselves in a position to pray very low-hanging fruit prayers because if they're down here, then surely God can answer those. But when we pray these bold, audacious, seemingly impossible prayers, we run the risk of foolishness. On April 22nd, I got an email from a couple in our church, Jenna and Alan Barbie. Their unborn baby was diagnosed with a very rare and a very serious heart defect. He needs, she says, he needs a large team of pediatric cardiologists to care for him after birth. Immediately after birth, he will have surgery. There will be a series of surgeries through his early childhood. There's no cure for his heart defect. The surgeries will make his heart functional. This will be a lifelong battle for him. He will likely be, on, uh, be in the hospital for a while after he's born. And I think his next surgery is around the three-month mark. A few weeks ago, I stood here, right here, actually it was on April 24th, and we were in, I think, the How Is This Possible series. And I didn't name them by name, but I did pray for the unborn baby. And I prayed for healing, and I prayed that God would do the miraculous. It was a bold prayer that, and I'm not telling you this to pat myself on the back, because I think in that moment even I... I said, I, I, so, I so sympathize with that statement in Scripture where it says, Lord, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. You know, I find myself lacking the faith for God to actually do the miraculous, but, but I found myself in that moment after this heart's cry to just pray and believe and say, God, you can heal and you will heal. That is the promise of God. The prayer team over the last five weeks have been lifting Alan and Jenna up. They've been lifting up baby boy Barbie. And three days ago, I got this message. Five weeks ago, we got the diagnosis that the right half of the baby heart did not form at all. The top and bottom chamber on the right side were not there. But today, all four chambers were present in his heart. This is something that, that we were told was possible. There's still growth needed in two of the four chambers, but all four are there and functioning. We need bold prayers. And again, you know, I'm telling you my insecurities and being vulnerable that, yes, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. But, man, let's not sell God short. What happens if it's like, well, I'm super glad that the doctors are going to be able to take care of him. I'm glad that, you know, and we just leave it up to that and we don't believe that God actually can reform a heart in the mother's womb. 
What happens when we don't believe that God does the miraculous? We, we miss out. James 5.16 says the effective, fervent prayer. The word fervent there is the word energeo. Means desperate enough to pray with energy. This effective, fervent, energetic prayer avails much. See, I believe, as Mark Batterson has said, God honors bold prayers because bold prayers honor God. We're not done praying for baby boy Barbie. We're going to continue to pray. We're going to continue to ask for those two valves to have complete healing and restoration and there's no complications and there's that it's the miraculous. We celebrate in the miracle of what is, but we look forward to the miracles of what will be. And there's many of you who are sitting here, I had the question in between services of what do you do with the circumstances and situations where you pray bold and fervent prayers and, and you're praying for a miracle and the miracle doesn't happen. It doesn't work out like you prayed. What do you do with that? And the answer to that is, I don't know. I don't know. And it's the answer that we don't like. It's the answer that, that we want something clear and definable, but we just don't have the answers. I don't know all of the dynamics of the kingdom of God. I don't know all the dynamics of the kingdom of this world. I do know that we live in a world that has sin, that has death, that has sickness, that has pain. I do know that all of those things exist, and I know that God still does miracles. He does. I also know that my job is not to question why or why not, but my, God, my job is to pray, to walk in faith. I told Jenna that, you know, that I'd be lying if I said when I prayed that prayer, and as we've been praying over the last weeks, that, that there wasn't you know, a hint of, is this going to happen? Can God really do this? Like in my humanity, in my brain, I know that there's unbelief, and yet what this has done is it's built my faith. And maybe, just maybe, my unbelief is, is not as deep as it was before. God honors bold prayers because bold prayers honor God. I'll end with a story. It's from a, a book called The Circle Maker. It was written by uh, Mark Batterson, actually, and I read it quite a few years ago now. It was in the process of when we were selling our property, and, and uh, so I was reading it, and, uh, and there, I just was reminded of it this last week, where it's about a story, uh, a historical story. It's not a biblical story, but a historical Hebrew uh, story about a man named Honi. And he lived his life uh, in the midst of a drought. There, there was just this huge drought, and because of the drought, a subsequent famine that was going on. And, and Honey finds himself in a place in desperation, and, uh, and he takes his staff, and he, he draws a circle around himself, and he says these words. He prays these words. He says, Lord of the universe, I swear before your great name that I will not move from this circle until you have shown mercy upon your children. 
and it began to sprinkle. They began to sprinkle, and I'm sure you know kids are running around, they're getting water in their mouth, and and it's just like this amazing, amazing thing. But for Honey, he he didn't stop there. Instead, as as it began to sprinkle, he knelt down and he prayed, not for such rain have I prayed, but for rain that will fill cisterns, pits, and caverns. And he's just like us. It's like, yeah, I prayed for some rain, and sprinkles are great, but I need my riverbeds filled. I need my cisterns filled. I need buckets of water to come down. And guess what happens next? A monsoon comes. And a monsoon comes and you would think, okay, well, now he's happy, right? No, he goes on and he keeps his head down in the midst of a monsoon. And he says, not for such rain have I prayed, but for rain of your favor, blessing, and graciousness. See, he recognized they needed more than water in the soil. They needed a touch in their heart as well. It went from downpour then to a steady rain that saturated the ground and brought them out of the drought. But I wonder this morning if, if maybe that's what we need is, is not just a, we don't just need a miracle. We actually need a touch in our heart. We need something that's ignited in us that moves us to be spirit-filled, spirit-empowered prayers and people. It's time. Honey will ever, forever be known as a circle maker, and I encourage you, if you get the chance, you should read the book. It's a really good, good read. But beyond that, I wonder what circles you have to draw. To draw a circle around your marriage. And say, God, I'm not leaving, I'm not leaving the circle until you bring rain, until you bring healing. Circle around your kids, around your home, around your sons and your daughters who are living their life according to the world, that you draw a circle around and say, I'm not leaving. I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna contend. That we draw circles around our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our schools, our teachers, and we just say, God, you have to move. But you need physical healing. You got a diagnosis, you got something going on in your own body, and you just have to draw a healing, a circle around it, and you have to say, God, it is by your stripes that we are healed. I'm not leaving the circle. I'm going to pray fervently. I'm going to pray and I'm going to be obedient in the belief of healing for my life. We are prayers. We are prayers that don't just mark it on a card or go for prayer periodically, but we are people who pray first. We are people who live spirit-filled prayer lives. We are spirit-filled, empowered people to live this life on mission. Let's pray.